0: Morning, church. Let's start with a little experiment today, okay? This is kind of a do as I do. Would you uh, just raise your arm and tuck your elbow in close to your face? There we go. Cough twice into your sleeve. <coughs> do that? Come on. <coughs> okay? Now, would you turn to the people around you and say, don't worry, I'm not contagious. <laughs> Here. Yeah. We made this point last week. Uh, we settled on these themes and titles quite some time ago, months ago, actually. Uh, and so the title Contagious Christianity is not really meant to reflect on or make light of the very serious tragedy happening in the world. It's really not a reference to Wuhan, China or coronavirus at all. It's a reference to this text in the Sermon on the Mount, to the desire rooted in the kingdom of God and and, and explicit in the words of Jesus to infect the world with something good, Uh, to be able to see the values and attributes of the kingdom multiply into the world. Not all things that are infectious are bad. We talk about people who have an infectious laugh, the kind of person who who laughs and it just fills a room and and makes you want to laugh with them. There is a set of kingdom values that, that go out into the world as they're replicated and multiply. And those values are embedded right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Just to quickly recap, the Sermon on the Mount addresses two key questions about life The first one, the one we've been reflecting on for the past few weeks, is the question of the good life. What what does it mean to have the good life? Uh, Remember, that's the definition for the word blessed. When you say God bless you, what we're really saying is we desire God's very best for you. We want you to have the good life. Uh, That section at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the the Beatitudes, talk about the good life, the blessed life. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And you remember, in every case, Jesus takes our understanding of what the good life might be and turns it upside down. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is sometimes called the gospel of the upside down kingdom. It, It upends our understanding of the world so that it's not just the haves, but it's also the have nots that enjoy the good life. Blessed are you. So the first question is, what is the blessed life? The second question that the sermon gets at is, what does it mean to be a good person? First, what does it mean to live the good life? Secondly, what does it mean to be a good person? And if the good life relies on a worldview that is turned upside down, an understanding of the good person is going to require a certain amount of turning ourselves inside out. Now, that journey begins today with these, uh, these quick, pithy, memorable injunctions about salt and light. But, but Jesus is going to build into that for the duration of the rest of the sermon. And we're going to unpack it over the coming weeks and months. A reminder, though, of those words that, uh, that Ashok read for us from Matthew 5. Uh, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I wonder sometimes we use those words, and they're familiar words for us, but whether they still fall on our ears with the same impact that they would have had when Jesus' first hearers encountered those words, salt of the earth, light of the world. Since we're experiencing the greatest sermon ever, not mine, again, his, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon, Uh, I think we ought to do our best to tune our ears to hear it in the greatest way possible, to understand the impact of words like salt and light in the ancient world. Salt is the foundational essence of currency in the ancient world. If you want the history of salt in three sentences, here it comes, not mine from a history book. Salt is essential in the history of our world. Animals left tracks to salt licks. Humans followed the tracks. Roads were formed and towns were built. Voila, civilization. (laughs) That's stripping it back to its bare bones. The history of the world in the language of salt. But salt isn't just about... The, the commodity that we know that sits on our counter at home inside a shaker or inside a grinder. We buy a box of salt, sifto salt, at the dollar store for, well, a dollar. That's uncommon in the history of the world. Salt was currency. It had tremendous value. If you were a Roman soldier, you were paid in salt. In fact, the word that they used was the word sal, S-A-L, or the fullest form was salarium. Guess which English word we get from that. Salary, your salary, your income is rooted in that history of being paid in salt. In the Old Testament, when people brought their offerings before God, they were invited to salt their offerings. Recommend, or recognizing that this has value in worship. Also celebrating another function of salt in the ancient world. You know what that is? It's a preservative, right? The, the climate is really adverse to storing food. It's hot. It's dry. It's dusty. Nobody was dropping off ice. There were no refrigerators. In order to preserve food and stay healthy, you cured it. Through salt. In the same way, when people salted their offerings and they brought them before God, it was a way of recognizing and celebrating the way that God faithfully preserves his people. It was recognizing the covenant of God, that God is faithful over time. From that history, somewhere along the road, we got the expression that we use of some people. We say, hey, that person, salt of the earth. I mean, that is a salt-of-the-earth kind of person. And normally what we mean, right, is that they're, they're humble, they're honest, they're reliable and hardworking, good stock, right? And if that were all that Jesus Jesus meant, maybe we would have the right to say that that is kind of an attainable thing. But he has something much more vast in mind. Something in the order of, you are precious, of the earth, you are essential. You're valuable. You have a role in preserving the good and purifying the corrupt. Remember, Jesus is not speaking to the haves of the world. He's speaking to the have-nots, to the forgotten, and to the to the forsaken, and to to this uh, to this large gathering of misfits from society. He says in a massive new way of defining their identity, you are not a person of low value or a person of great intent. Not only that, not only salt of the earth, you are light of the world. And if we were able to do a brief history lesson in the language of salt, we ought to be able to do a great science lesson using the language of light. All human life depends on light. Without it, no life is possible. Vision, that that one key sense, it, it only matters because of light. If we probe the depths of the darkest parts of the ocean, you'll find living creatures, but most of them are blind. And That's not a deficit. There's no need for vision without light. Without light, spectacular bursts of color and beauty would have no meaning in the world. Light controls all the rhythms of work and rest that we rely on. Light is a source of all energy. Were it not for the sun and were it not for plants that are able to convert the sun into usable energy, we would have no life. Light, along with salt, has a role in sterilizing and purifying the toxins of the world. Light, as as I remember, is the key constant to Einstein's revolutionary equation. You remember the one? E equals mc squared. Yeah, which one was light? The c, right. There you have it. In addition to that, light heals. A lot of research has been going on in this area right now about the therapeutic value of light. and People have found that phototherapy can speed up the healing process in people up to 200%. One of the researchers said that it turns out that that the molecules that make a disease worse are weakened in the presence of light, and the ones responsible for its improvement are strengthened. In short, if the history of the world can be written in salt, the science of the world can be written in light. You put those two together, and it makes you wonder whether the problem that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God is not that we think too little of ourselves, but that we don't think enough about our identity in the kingdom. We think too little about what God has called us to do, having been, given, having been given these really identity-shaking affirmations. What could it look like? What could it mean to be salt of the earth, light of the world? I have three things that I'm going to lob out there for you to consider. You'll find them in the back page of your Uh, of your order service in the notes section. These are meant to be starting points. The the practical outworking of these principles, I I think, is the sort of the takeaway in our lives. But you've heard some good opportunities already. You heard one from Ben and Larry. To come and spend a day with people who are trying to figure out what it means to be salt and light in the marketplace, to be people of the kingdom in the world. But here they are. Just three quick thoughts. The starting place of all of this is going to be an act of reclamation. What is it we're reclaiming? We're reclaiming an identity that for some reason often we have neglected or pushed down or ignored. God invites us to be part of this inside-out process of claiming an upside-down reality in the world and claiming this identity. Identity, remember, is the core of who we are. Jesus is addressing in his time a group of people who understood that their identity was rooted in their race, their religion, and their standing in the world, their honor. And Jesus says, you know what, that's not actually what makes you valuable. And the fact that you may have very little of those things doesn't make you a person of low value, because it's not what defines you. The Bible will say in another place, 1 John 3.16, it's the other John 3.16 that you should know. First John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus anchors the value of people in his own sacrificial love for them. Sometimes people want to dismiss the Sermon on the Mount as the relic of a long gone and forgotten age. It was for peasants. It was for an underclass that doesn't exist anymore. It was rooted in the problems of a world that's long gone. Aren't we just as tempted to find our value in our paycheck and our position and our pedigree? I mean, the, the impact of the message, it's just as potent today as it was back then. Our value doesn't come from those things. It comes from what Jesus has imparted to us. Imagine you had uh, a business card. Take some imagination. Not a lot of people use these anymore, right? But we printed a big batch of them, so I got to pull them out every once in a while. But imagine there's your business card, and your name is on there, and underneath your name it has your title salt of the earth, light of the world. (laughs) Doesn't that blow your mind? That's God's design for you. It says in in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, this is Jesus speaking, John 8, verse 12, he says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they too will have the light of life. See, he's taking his identity and passing on part of it to us. What would it look like to recenter your identity in that massive, expansive statement, light of the world, salt of the earth, rather than just whatever it may say on your business card right now? So there's this act of reclamation as a starting point, but then there's... There's this act of recentering. Uh, they're not as common today as they used to be, but you remember those Garmin GPS devices that, that we used to buy and we would mount on our dashboards before the age of smartphones or, or in Dash GPS? You, you remember, did you have those, any of them? Right? Suction cup them on there. And you got to pick the voice. I always picked kind of the British voice and the female, a little more soothing, and she sounded smart. <laughs> and you had to trust them. Because most of the time, they were recalibrating, right? Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Meanwhile, the map is always recentering, always redrawing itself, recentering, recentering, recentering. There is an important function in our Christian life when it comes to this identity of recentering. Here's an illustration. I'll take you back to science class. How many are excited about going back to science class? Daniel, yeah, my man, my man. The rest of you, no, no. How about this for triggering a memory? Photosynthesis, do you remember the word? Photosynthesis, what is photosynthesis? The process by which plants and bacteria, plants can convert sunlight into energy, Right. I mean, strictly speaking, they, they convert sunlight into glucose. They convert carbon dioxide and water into glucose, which they can use for energy. Were it not for that function, no life is possible. They can reclaim the energy of the sun and make it available as food so that life is possible. You remember the word photosynthesis, right? I was counting on it. But do you remember this word? Same unit in science. Phototropism. Ah. My dad was a high school science teacher. (laughs) Phototropism describes the movement of plants. Yes, plants move. Not just in Little Shop of Horrors when they jump out and, and claim you. Plants will move. It happens so slowly we don't notice it. But how do plants move? Plants will always orient themselves in such a way that they achieve maximum exposure to the light. You can try this. You can take a plant that's sitting in your window, right? And you can move it in the window to a different place and watch as the leaves shift. It might take a day or two, but they will shift in order to maximize their exposure to the light. There's a lesson here. The closer we are to the source, the greater our exposure to the light, the more we can receive and convert what comes from that into energy, into food, into hope for the world. Notice when the identity statement is given, the statement is let your light shine, not make the light, not Find the light, but let the light shine. In my everyday life, maybe yours too, what does it look like to need to recenter myself in the direction of the light that comes from God above? Well, in hundreds of small ways, usually when I'm driving, it's a daily affair, right? Driving is just when I'm most conscious of that. It's when I'm most conscious of the fact that I'm living in my own kingdom, right? Especially because I'm surrounded in my car. This is my kingdom, my rules, my domain. And if anybody tries to come crashing into my domain, I'm going to assert my rights. Like if I'm on the QEW and somebody is going to race... Is going to race the uh, the lane to get onto the QEW. They're going to go right to the very end, and then they're going to expect to be able to cut me off and get it. It's not happening in my kingdom. I am closing that gap. You're not. You're going to go right off into the emergency lane. The police are going to catch you, and they're going to ticket you, and you're going to deserve it, right? <laughs> One of a thousand thoughts like this during the day when I realize it's easy. To live as the master of my kingdom. And I need to pause for a minute and just recenter myself. I know that's a trite, simple example, but you get the idea. We are going to uh we're going to fail again and again at this, but but that's okay. You know, Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24, whoever hears my words and puts them into Practice. We're going to need to practice this. And practice means sometimes in practice you fail, but you learn from your failure. You get up, you dust yourself off, and you try again. So here we are. We step back into our own little kingdom. It's about our own selfish desires, our own pleasure, our own privilege, our own rights. But then we say we need to recenter. We need to recalibrate again. Because our truest identity is as the person who is able to capture what comes from God and convert it and send it into the world. And at the tail end of the sermon, we'll get into exactly what that is. But, and I think that part of the journey for me is at least is trying to shorten the time between I realize when I realize I'm living in the wrong kingdom, and I recenter and get into the right one. Sometimes the gap goes on way too long. But over time maybe it shortens. And the alarm goes off quicker, and you realize, I need to recenter. I need to recalibrate. The closer we are to the source, the more we're able to convert what we're receiving and give it back into the world. So there's a reclaiming identity, there's a recentering that happens. Then there's the last thing that has something to do with results. Because success is going to look, I don't know, it just looks different in the kingdom of God. How many of you work a job where you're required on a monthly or quarterly basis to submit results? You have that kind of a job? Right, here they are. And you live under the weight of that. They're measurable, they're testable, your achievements are going to be ranked and measured. Let's look at the kingdom of God. Let's look at Matthew 5, verse 16. And let's look at how results get measured. In the same way, Jesus says, you let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and hear the results and glorify your Father in heaven. There's that word again. It just seems Sunday after Sunday we keep tripping over that word, the word glory. It just It sounds like a word from another century. We don't use it. How was your day? Filled with glory. (laughs) But but it's it's just so important to understanding what's going on in the kingdom. The word behind the word, the the word in the Bible is the word doxa, D-O-X-A. We get an English word that if you've been around the church for some number of years, you will know the English word doxology. Because we used to sing it every Sunday in traditional services. You remember the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings. That's the one. Boy, we should be able to sing that one to any Sunday. Uh, that's the essence of it. It is eyes that are reoriented towards God as the source of all good things. That's glory. What does it look like? Let me, let me just read you this definition. That's a great reminder about what we're offered here on earth when we step into the kingdom of God. This glory is the enjoyment of the fullness, the satisfaction, the joy, the righteousness, the ceaseless delight of God. Hmm. Let me ask you if that's how your day feels like. Monday morning. a.m., you're punching in. Fullness, satisfaction, joy, ceaseless delight, (laughs) glory. Jesus is trying to lead us to a place that we cannot lead ourselves. And he doesn't just lead us into the kingdom. He makes that entrance possible. In doing that, he... He leads us into death and through death and out the other side, so we get rid of that. I mean, the ultimate Friday end of the working shift letdown at the end of life. But he leads us into this new expansive place and is the only one who can do it. The other 3.16 that you know, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets here without me. You know, in that study of the healing properties of light, one of the researchers commented that, that for modern Western people, it's difficult to accept the idea that light could have healing properties because it seems like it's just too simple. And medicine ought to be complicated. I sometimes wonder if the same thing doesn't happen here, if as modern Western people, what Jesus is offering just looks too simple. What would it look like to have faith like a child? When you believe, you belong. Kids get that. And it's as simple as that. And then you get this opportunity for the rest of your life to experience what the kingdom of God looks like. Some of you have great lives. Some of you are holding your life in contempt. This is not what you thought it would be like. you go back and leaf through your yearbook and read what people wrote about you, and then you wonder, how did I wind up with this? These are not the results I was looking for. But then God in his glory gives you this opportunity to take one small step of obedience and experience forever what it means to live in the kingdom of God. A kingdom that's so expansive. It redefines everything about who you are. Not by your age, your gender, or what you think you bring. You can't be a have or a have not in the kingdom of God. There are only haves. And then giving up my, my rights. Stepping into God's Kingdom. It's not constrictive and small. It's expansive. It's beautiful. It's the definition of glory. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And that job never is done until you see Him face to face in glory. What does that mean for Monday morning? it might just be small steps of obedience, right? I mean, like the plant, whose motion you never really notice because it happens in small increments, small moves, hardly noticeable, but just enough to keep them oriented toward the light. And remember, what that plant is doing quietly is essential to all life on earth. So it might just be small steps of obedience. It might mean this week that you look at somebody, that you really look at them. Our lives are filled with people that we do not see. It might mean that you take notice of the need of a co-worker and you decide this week, I'm going to do something small just for them with the hope that it might bring a spark of joy into their week. It might mean just, I'm going to be faithful to my kids and my grandkids or, or my neighborhood. And Ben and Larry, they've got this passion. They realize that you are essential in the place that you have been called to live and play and work. That you are essential there. Your kingdom life happens there. in plants the process of converting light into glucose is the process of converting light into energy photosynthesis i'm going to invent the word here the process in the kingdom of god the process of agaposynthesis let me say that again agaposynthesis let me have you say it with me agapo agapo synthesis you knew the, you know the word agape some of you is is the noun for love, a special kind of love rooted and flowing from God. Agapo is the verb. The verb. The conversion of the light of God, the presence, the reality, significance of God into something tangible that brings hope into into the world. That's the mandate of the kingdom. We draw near to God. It always creates love. And it needs to shine. It needs to be expressed. When you center your life on the source, that will always be the output. And Jesus promises that the results are going to be glorious. That's enough for today. Let me pray for you. Father, you tell us in your word, That if we walk in the light, that you are in the light. That we'll have love for one another. Lord, your presence, it creates love. It creates more of it than we could ever find in ourselves. It creates a love that exists outside of us, but also that flows through us into the world. It allows us to experience the world differently. We pray, Lord, for the courage, for the persistence, for the conviction to step constantly outside the boundaries of our own little kingdoms and into the wide expanse of the kingdom of God. We want to be led by you, Jesus, you who left your throne above to rescue the ones you love. Lord, we know that we may have been spiritually poor, but you have blessed us with this new identity, this new calling in the kingdom of God. Father, help us to live out that identity this week. In your name we pray. Amen.